I did hear a recording of myself speaking re- recently and was horrified by how many times I said the word like. And it made me think of um, my first day at high school and it was like this drama class. And we all went around the room, we're saying, like t- introducing ourselves and stuff like that. This one girl, she talked about herself and was really like kind of shy and like, hi, blah, blah, blah. And then this boy named Joe Jackson was just like, God, I just counted how many times you said like, and you said it 36 times in like the matter of one paragraph. And everyone just pissed themselves laughing at her. And I felt so bad for her and thought to myself like, shit, I said like too. That could have been me. Fuck you, Joe Jackson. Get out of here with that shit. You're listening to Record Room, where we meet the artist behind an album we love. Here is your host, Will Fucker. True vulnerability is a hard pill to swallow. Opening up to another person, shedding the identity you perform for the world every day, and showing your true self is scary as fuck. But the type of connection true vulnerability brings is liberating. Oscar Keysong's No Disguise dances with this freedom, celebrating the power of honesty, intimacy, the highs and lows bound to come with all that good shit. And he's not lost in the mix either. Throughout, his vocals are clear, and their arrangements mirror the record's ecstatic narrative. This is a hemorrhage of songs designed to keep your head spinning and your blood pumping. Hell, they may even get you laid if you play them right. No Disguise lays it all out and invites us to take the raw, thrilling moments with Oscar Keysong. Without a light, I 
hoping for a simple love Sister on the other side Off these lines and turns Tunnels without a light I'm hoping for a simple love Hold my breath, count to ten Eyes up to the heaven Wish upon a star, maybe then At the end, with a smile on my face I watch it all back like a flash Hold my breath, count to ten Eyes up to the heaven Cross my heart, hope to die Simple love, hope to find Simple Love, when that came out, first of all, were the cellos, like, were you thinking of Arthur Russell? Or I, I mean, he's someone that I find, like, often cited, but rarely do people sort of, like, hit that tone perfectly. I think, yeah, like, Arthur Russell is, like, my, probably one of my most rinsed kind of artists. And I was, like, introduced to him, like, years ago and just kind of just exploring his body of work and just thinking about him has just been like a real pleasure. Right. And I, I was 100% trying to bring to mind his vibe and to try and like literally reference it type thing. And I, I wouldn't call it like, a, like as far as like a sampling or like covering, but I just like, I really wanted it to come to mind and to have that same sort of energy that his cello playing had. I mean, there's so many songs that have the same chord progressions, but it's just about the way it's kind of balanced and nuanced and stuff like that. I just watched that movie, Almost Famous. Remember that movie? Oh, yes. I was like, it's this film that I hadn't seen since I was like 12, which I watched like heaps of times when I was 12. And... While watching it, like I noticed that the mood in the opening sequence, and it's just like this old acoustic guitar sort of like with like heaps of delay on them and stuff. It just had a really nice mood. The mood of watching the movie and feeling really nostalgic while watching it. That was the kind of the energy that went into making that loop, the like the strings loop with the Arthur Russell kind of vibe. But but the the strings are actually like. Uh, from OP1, which I basically made everything on on this record, and it gets the only bit of gear I own at the moment. It's a little OP1, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm ranting. No, no, no. It's a podcast. This is the best venue for you to do that. Arthur Russell, the nod to it, it's like, I find sometimes when I listen to something, if it is kind of deceptively simple, like if it's more complicated than what I was expecting it to be, then... Often, like, I can only really understand it in that first, like, one to five listens by immediately listening to whatever it's uh, reminded me of on first listen. Yeah. And when I heard Simple Love, I was like, I have to listen to Wild Combination and, yeah, you know, all that, that sexy, tragic cello gay shit, which I love. So good. Yeah, it's so good. Love. Live for it. I know. And I usually, like, Arthur Russell is someone that I have, like, a seasonal, it comes it's i would say it's like a like a sound depression i just get like once a year but it's always at the same time yeah but you've brought it you've brought it really early on this year for me so (laughs) i'm thrilled thrilled to just get that shit out the way (laughs) because wow i love i love that it kind of it's tied into a full seasonal sort of state that's so good it is i feel the same way i mean i probably wouldn't have 
known that to put that into words in that way, but now that you say that, like that feels incredibly relatable. Yeah, if I could blame the Ani DeFranco period on you, I would too, but I can't quite yet. <laughs> um, we'll see who I blame that on. Let's talk about some of the writing on the record, though. Part of the, the like, are you at the beach? I'm just in the street. Does it sound like the beach? Sounds like seagulls. There's a bunch of birds. I can walk away from them. I'm into it. They're colorful parrots. Oh, wow. That's very Australian. But it's like on a very, very drab autumn day. So they, they're really popping up in that, in that leafless tree. Oh, that's right. We're having opposite seasons. I always forget that. Big time. Mm. Yeah. Well, there is a ice cream truck parked outside my building. So if you hear... Like some menacing sounds of like creepy ice cream music. <laughs> children's being sacrificed. <laughs> Those are so cool though. The, the American like ice cream trucks. It's cool. I know. The, I kind tunes, of. Like, it's like so creepy. They're so, so good. fucking creepy. It's very like teddy bears go out at night. Like I don't know. Yeah. Um. I kind of wanted to like crack my window so that it could pick up a little bit, but that you know, you can probably just hear like my neighbors screaming at each other.
thinking a lot about like SZA's album, maybe just because I think it's up on its like one year anniversary. But I remember when Control came out and she was talking a lot about how she had to overextend her voice to really project for performing live. And that she she was getting a lot of feedback from people that were like, don't cloud your your uh, vocals in like reverb or delay or any sort of effect. Did you have a similar experience when you were putting these songs together? Because your vocals are so clear. I mean, I basically, it was very, it was a very simple moment that happened maybe like a year ago where um, my friend Nick Huggins, who actually recorded the Oscar and Martin, oh no, he didn't record it. I guess he mixed the Oscar and Martin album. I was um, recording in this little shack where he like lives with his wife and baby and um, was working on songs. And I'd made that, that Clubmate song, but at the time it was just a drum loop and the piano and vocals. That, and I laid it out of the bass line. And he, he basically just came in. He goes, wow, this is really nice. Like, you know, like, I like what you're making. And he's like, why don't you turn all of the reverb off and see what it sounds like? <laughs> and, then, and then I did. And, and he was like, I like this so much more. And I remember kind of feeling like a bit sort of uh, like shook by that. Like I'd be like, oh, I don't want to hear myself without Rio because I'm so inspired by Rio. Like I like going into like car parks and hallways and just like hanging out in them because it's so fun and like hearing your voice thrown around. But yeah, basically that was that was the one I was like, oh, wait, it's like actually created just a billion times more space in the mix and the clarity of everything is so worth keeping yeah i think but there's been like a a few moments like that but that was probably the main one for this ep anyway that made me just take it off most things type thing i think it's hard i mean it's hard to achieve that clarity when you're producing vocals and doing harmonic stacks and things um Mm. and you produce all the music yourself too right Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah i mean that's that's a lot to work with keep in mind sort of thing (laughs) yeah yeah. People talk about how like music's one of those things that your brain is active in lots of ways, you know, like there's this sort of nostalgic parts of your brain, sensory types of your brain, analytical parts of your brain, all sort of kind of dancing around together. And so like when you're actually making something, it's similarly a lot of different parts of your like, you know, capacity is at play. And so I, f- I find that it's like because I, if I'm working on something that I'm producing and writing, I'll kind of at some point in my mind stop focusing too much on other elements. Like if I'm working on the vocal, it's like the, the other stuff becomes a bit like in the background. And then it becomes like a case of like, you know that sort of metaphor of tuning a piano and when you like, you, you tighten one note and get it in tune, which leads to a note on the other side of the piano going out of tune. <laughs> and so then you go and tune that, which then leads to something else going out of tune, and then it's just this finding this balance. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that. Yeah. I don't do it all at once. <laughs> when do you need other people to come in and listen? I've learned to like not show people things too early on, because mm-hmm. um, you just have this kind of like two things can either happen. Like one thing that happens is like people go like, oh, like I love this, don't change it, and you're like, oh, but. Oh, kind of thing. Or they're like, oh, it needs this and it needs that. And you're like, yeah, I know, but like, what do you think about the bits that are there type thing? There's a couple of people in my life who you can show something to early on. Generally, I just like to show people things 
when they sort of sound sim- at least like a realized version of what I intended to make, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then like in terms of like finishing stuff off, it's like I try and get it really close to being done and then see how far much further we can take it once I thought it couldn't get any further type thing. Like I don't like to sort of come to a mixer and be like, fix this type thing. <laughs> Um, yeah. Can you tell me about the location of the album? Because I know you recorded it in uh, Mexico City and Point Lonsdale, which I'm not, yeah. not really sure where that is. Point Lonsdale is the uh, the little shack that I just referenced before. Oh, with Nick and his family, right? Yeah, so they're, they're kind of out the back. They're like in a different house and I sort of, there's, he, he runs this very, very low-key kind of studio that, that um, you know, some people work from and it's just like really cute super low-key kind of shack vibes with a studio in it like a sort of shack studio (laughs) so i recorded there i also recorded in mexico city in like a little apartment in navarte where i sort of set up a very sort of dodgy sort of studio situation as well and that's pretty much yeah where the bulk of it was done and then i kind of i've been working on other music throughout the year so I sort of revisited some of the songs a little bit, but that was pretty much where it was made, location-wise, yeah. Did these songs come together as one body, or is this part of a larger thing that we might be getting? Um, I'm sorry, I just asked that question. That's such a stupid question. No, it's not a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are you going to keep making music for us? <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there, is, there is another body of work. that The, the songs that are currently this EP at certain points seem like they might be part of other bodies of work but then it became clear that this little collection worked together but then there is uh, there's other stuff that was made around that time as well that will hopefully exist in the real world and not in my laptop too (laughs) cool these songs hang together incredibly well though yeah i do think sometimes the music is just good but not really there's no real continuity in in sort of like the thought or execution but these they seem to have like a real narrative arc and i i find the production and the sequencing of the record like very interesting it just reminds me of like a weekend for you know all the Mm. highs and lows that that yes yes (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. and totally the brevity of the of the short format kind of does too
break you down. Maybe it's all in my mind. Well, that's alright. Yeah, alright. I'm having a good time. But maybe it's all in my mind. Or maybe I'm falling. of voice that I hear in this record and this body of songs is the writing feels very specific Mm. to me Yeah, in a way that I really appreciate because it's not overly reliant on like a poetic ambiguity which is also nice but sometimes like I find queer music or things that are like written for the artist, but also relatable, like not relatable or disingenuous, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they could just be like too elliptical, you know, like yeah. too many things are just sort of like fogged out a little bit, which is frustrating. I find frustrating because feelings are very specific, even if you can't tie them to one incident or we didn't all encounter those feelings in the same way. Yeah. But there are so many things that... um that I just really like on this this album. Like, 25 Minutes, too, is kind of like my sex-positive slut anthem this summer, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm hot for that. That's, that's a vibe. It is a vibe. <laughs> yeah. It's one that people try to do, but it's always just, like, gross. I'm trying not to be a bitch on my podcast, so I'm not going to talk about any <laughs> specific things, but, like... I would be kind of afraid to put that out. Yeah. I don't, I still, I, I'm like ashamed to say that, but it's true, you know? Like, I would, I probably need to get like really fucked up or something to just sort of be, work through those feelings. Or, yeah. How did you find the confidence in yourself to put out something like 25 minutes? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny you ask that because no one has seemed to acknowledge that it would have been a conscious leap to make a song like that. I think I like I had this growing itching desire to make a getting ready to party song and like you know like a sort of like like let's go and do this kind of track like let's go and get drunk kind of I don't know like I just had never really tried to do that and was just like itching to in this in this way like the, like the way like someone like Charlie XCX just does it over and over again it's just like her comfort zone but like for so many people it's just like a complete impossibility her work is so interesting because she can do 
this like very contemporary bubblegum shit, you know? Yeah. And it's queer and it's positive and it's good. And there's so much to talk about from it. I mean, she also gets to play a character. Yeah. And what I like about 25 Minutes is that it is very relatable and very specific, but you're not inventing a character. You know, you're not speaking truth into something fictional. You know what I mean? Totally. I mean, yeah, I love Charlie, of course. There was no shade oh, no, intended no, no, no. in. No. And I guess it's just like, and when I when I went about doing that, making a song like that, it was like, I kind of really tapped into this sort of side of myself. And I think like a side that I have like in close friends as well, where you have this ability to like be like, okay, like I'm going to like kind of save you from your woes a little bit and be like, we're going to go out and we're going to rinse ourselves in bath of amyl for four days and just like completely <laughs> be reborn as happy hungover people type thing and it's just that call to arms of like let's get out of the house let's have fun let's like you know move on mm-hmm. and like i guess like it, that's kind of just what i was trying to like emulate and it was very like firsthand very real i think the funniest line in the song is like um thank goddess you picked up <laughs> I'll get you out of this rut. So, like, I thought that was really funny to say instead of thank God, thank goddess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, depicting this, like, scene of, like, you know, stacks of missed calls and petals on the floor, like, just, like, someone just, like, completely ignoring the world and then you kind of, like, being like, look, be ready soon. I'll I'll be there in 25 minutes. We're going, okay? We're going out. Anyway, that was the vibe. to recover. sequencing earlier too i thought 
that it is immediately followed by, I thought this song was called Club Mate, like from that disgusting drink that everyone has in Berlin. Yeah, which it kind it is kind of called that. It's like a it's like a it's like a joke. It's like if you if you know you know if you don't you don't. It's fine, I think. That brought such a visceral taste to my mouth though, because I spent three weeks in Berlin yeah. in my early early twenties. Yeah, and that to me is so that that is so synonymous with like uh, the exact point when you know you passed too much. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like. It's 6.30. Is this person even going to come on? Or are we still at the club? Or am I just like yeah. in a dumpster somewhere? But that's <laughs> a broke, broke expat shit. The song is essentially called Club Club Mate. But like, mm-hmm. it's like, it's Club Mate too, I guess. Because it's like, your Club Mate, I guess, yeah. is like your friend you go to the club with. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see that. I really like the drum pattern on Clubmate. It reminds me of like early Timbaland stuff. What were some other uh, moods and references? True. Yeah. You were thinking of when you were putting these songs together. I mean, Timbaland's always kind of in there because that was just such a sort of like thing, I guess, as a like a young teen, you know? Because like, like I was born in 1990, so like. Me too. Yeah. With that club, with, with that song, the drum pattern was just that I like, <clears throat> uh, was just sick of these really kind of like harsh samples I was using. And I really like like drum and bass stuff and, um, jung- like junglist sort of like things. And I was like listening to a lot of like jungle and that type of music. Uh, so it just sort of, it just sort of felt right, but it definitely, that song was a bit of a surprise. Like I made it, I had the idea for the hook, which was based off a friend's, um, uh, Snapchat, um, handle, which was fuck like you dance. And, and we, I made a joke about wanting to make a song based off that handle, um, and then I was just kind of singing and I had like the idea for the hook. I was playing it on piano in that little room. And it, the song just kind of, it was one of those situations where it kind of just wrote itself. Like, and then I put the drums in within like four seconds. Type, like it was so quick. Like it wasn't like a, it wasn't a very like cerebral process. It wasn't like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. It just sort of happened really quickly. Influences that fed into it were probably very just like in the back of my mind, not like first, not in the front of my mind. My absolute favorite song on the record is Cobras and Roses. Yeah. Which mm, just feels kind of like the whole claim that you're staking with the no disguise thing. Yeah. And um, now that you've told me some of the club influences and, and musical reference points, that to me like really brought the whole thing together. You know? Yeah. And it was also just nice to hear like, just a proper fucking house rhythm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Which again is something that people introduce in very like lazy and kind of just tired ways. But um, yeah, it's good. It's a really, was that like an aha moment for you or? Um, I think like maybe like, maybe the outro section was a bit of an aha moment because I, I kind of with that song had, like the the like you know the start the way it starts is um all all like the singing bit, 
That was kind of like the very first version of the song I made that way. And then I made like maybe like eight other arrangements with like a different singing, with like a whole other take of vocals as well. And they were getting progressively deeper into like a techno kind of territory, I guess. Like they went from like a deep house to just like techno type thing. Like I think when I was in Berlin, I played a version of that song that would have just been like fully deep house, so minimal. And then when I got back to Melbourne and was like putting together the final touches for the EP and trying to figure out like how I wanted to finish that song, I listened through to all of the demos and was like, oh fuck, like the first one by far has the nicest mood and that first vocal take and like everything about it was so much nicer. And then I was like, but maybe I can bring in these other versions like at the very end and have like a bit of a like Janet Jackson, like ASMR sort of moment. Yeah. With like some sort of spoken word thing. And that for me was like, oh, and like while I was doing that, that vocal take of like you, me, together, like that, that sort of cheesy thing. Like I was definitely like really, <laughs> really touched at that moment. Like I was in a, you know, it was a fun, it would have been really funny to see me doing that vocal take. Probably. Um, we eat that shit up yeah, though. Like, it's good. <laughs> I was like really good taking it pretty seriously. Like, uh-huh. It was pretty funny. Um, so I think, yeah, definitely that was like, that was one of those things where I was like, okay, it was worth making 10 versions to get this kind of thing at the end. And kind of, I, the song, like, the, the person who was kind of like, the protagonist like the, the the my my lead act in that that's what that song was the time that it was about their favorite song at the time was that gypsy woman la da di la da da track or whatever crystal water crystal water <laughs> so i thought like i would do a little bit of a homage to that in there you know um yo yeah um in preparing for this interview though i actually like tried to make like a quick list of all the things that uh have like some some incorporation of Lada D in their refrains or chorus or whatever. <laughs> I still I yeah. I hate to take the shine away from my own program, but like uh, Genius, that website has a phenomenal someone made like an 18 minute video and it is like comprehensive as fuck too. Like it it, it is deep. <laughs> deep. Like yeah. Through like uh, at least sixty years uh, of, of pop music too, like recognizable pop music, and um, God damn, I like lost my mind, and we were still in like the late eighties, and I was like, wow, la da di la da da, it's a thing, I guess. Yeah. Wow, it's a dark art. Where the only real ones know how 
I think like the first time I went to LA, I think I just like was kind of naive and like you have to understand that like Australia in its entirety is a small town um, compared to the rest of the world. And like, you know, if you're in cities like London and New I mean like think of it this way. There's like certain things that happen in like traffic in a place like Tokyo or LA that like you just would never have experienced in Australia because there just simply isn't enough people for such a phenomena to exist. Yeah. You know what I mean? And in the same way, like the levels of deception and like kind of <laughs> just like social, subtle, weird things that go on like in big cities, you just don't quite see them, in my opinion, to the same extent in um in Australia, and I think so. The first time I wrote that line, it was in LA. But then, when I was putting it into this song, it was about the vibe of like, you know, like there's this amazing thing can happen when you're when you have like a partner in crime, when like a Bonnie and Clyde dynamic starts to emerge, where it's like you against the world in the most romantic and fun way, and all of the like the pointless fake stuff just is just this noise that doesn't affect you. And it's like, cause you two are the, are there like kind of like seeing it together. And so it's like, it's not, it's not a weird anymore. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of just about that because like, obviously like the Covers and Roses track is like, I mean like the imagery for that is like tattoo kind of imagery, which I'm obsessed with, but like it was kind of about, it's definitely like about like a bender slash romance bender, I guess. 
So it just sort of plays into that. <laughs> yeah, I think some of us have experienced that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> of course you have. How did you know how to end this album? Like, I, I mean, we've, we've moved very methodically through the record, and now we're, I think we're at, the, like, the last two songs. But, but I'm sure they came to you at different points, but when you were sequencing yeah. the album, how did you know where to land? I actually initially had the EP ending with a, um, the song Company, and... It and then it had oh I think it maybe had like a different song in the end. There was a track that is not included that I omitted from the EP that was on the EP as well, and the No Disguise song wasn't on there. And so what happened was is I was kind of listening to the songs and I had a sense of what I wanted the EP to end with, which was a feeling of something that captures like like how naked you feel when you show your true vulnerable self to someone, I guess, and how it's like, there's like a, a feeling of almost like a loss of something, like a kind of giving away. But then it's also like a kind of beautiful thing as well, even though it's terrifying. And um, not to sound like cliche or whatever. And, and then I had that song, No Disguise. And I was like, this has the exact mood of what I want. But the version that I had of it was this kind of, thing I'd made quite quickly that um, just like fully had like a, a Bruce Springsteen kind of vibe, but like super washed out Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> and I was like, damn, this production just doesn't fit at all with um, the the EP. And so I kind of just like... You, like, <laughs> of like expand on that for me <laughs> and everyone listening. <laughs> Like, like kind of double time. Like, remember how like all that '80s stuff? Like, it kind of sounded like that. Oh, oh, oh I'm on fire. You know that song? Um, That's my favorite. <laughs> that cool. That's such a good one. Like, it kind of had that production. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I was like, damn, like this doesn't fit at all. And so I kind of just, uh, while we were mixing the rest of the EP, I was in my headphones making this new beat type thing. Like I'd already like I was I had already booked out a studio to mix mix it and I was like fuck I need to change this the whole like I need to change the songs on this because this will work better yeah essentially just like, and then I worked with Hamer who was the mixer and he actually did some really nice additions to the No Disguise production like we like it was like c- collaborative but like we definitely like um, judged it a bit together which was nice changing the way the synth sounded and using some like plugins he had that sounded really good on the drums and hmm. stuff. Um, and so we kind of just like, once the arc was really clear in my mind, it was just like, it felt like the right way to end the, the BP. And I think like, as you, cause as you say, it's kind of like a weekend after all those highs, there's like this kind of confronting emotional low basically. And so it was kind of like capturing that, but it's sort of a satisfying low, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that same thing can be said for, like, any, like, kind of big emotional trajectory, I guess. Like, where, like even over a longer period of time or something. I don't know. I mean, it's like Alice landing out of the rabbit hole. Yeah. Where's that sample at the end 
with the girl who's what does she say like what's going on my heart's pounding what is what's that from that's actually from the dubbed version of um princess nausicaa but i tuned it down so it's a bit more of like an androgynous sounding voice and it's like a What's going on? My heart's pounding like crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you'll be infringing any copyright there. Bruce Springsteen might sue you after this interview, but... <laughs> Bruce! Oh my god, Bruce. But you're in the right part of the world to escape him. <laughs> Not for long. Oh, do you have a visa? Are you coming to play for us? Maybe so. Yeah, no, I am coming in July. What? Go on. Yeah, I'm coming... In July, and I'm playing some shows. Yes. You you have to come play New York. You have to. I can't localize it to one place, and it would be very self-serving to say that it is a New York album, because I hate when people talk like that. But, like, <laughs> uh, it would be so well-received here. But just because I think it's a, it's a zeitgeist thing, it's not, like, mm. it's not a scene. You're tapping into some real creative consciousness here that I think a lot of other people are exploring. And yeah. the rhythmic work and the vocal stuff and the self at, at the center-ness yeah. of it. All things that I think really come through here. L.A. too, yeah, obviously. Mm. I love L.A., but it's in like a hellscape kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> like dinosaurs will be stopping traffic when they come out of the tar pits type shit. So. <laughs> and then you can play the Heartland rock versions of all these songs. <laughs> the what? The Heartland Rock. I was thinking earlier when you were talking about Bruce Springsteen, like, what do people call it? Like, what's the bullshit critical term for, like, that exact type of music you were describing? I think it's Heartland Rock. Heartland or, Rock. Uh, what can we expect from a live show? Well, I change it up a lot. For this, for my Melbourne show coming up, I'm going to be, um, basically, like, I've just, like, I've got, like, a lot of different versions of the songs that kind of play out into like deeper heavier club sort of sections uh-huh. um but then i do some other songs like stripped back almost with like a kind of um shoegaze kind of guitar sort of accompaniment like i play guitar and um yeah so it's like everything's kind of maximalized like it's either like really stripped back or kind of over done a bit and then <clears throat> Like, I loop vocals and stuff and have, like, some sort of video elements. I think generally I try to make my shows, like, super kind of, like, like a cathartic, emotional, sort of dancing, sensual vibe. I'm into that. That sounds upsettingly beautiful. Are you going to have support on stage from anybody? I think, yeah, for this, for my Melbourne show coming up, I'm going to have a contemporary dancer step up and uh, some more kind of like, I guess like more like pop and Latin dancers too are going to do a little moment. Oh. <laughs> then there's also, uh, my friend is doing like an installation of these beautiful silk fabrics that she's uh, printed her photography onto and they're kind of just going to be like hung across the stage kind of like, like, like these sort of fabric billowing sort of pillars i guess with all these like sort of washed out pinks and pretty colors fuck yeah my friend grant who does html flowers is uh he'll he'll get up to to rap a couple of songs and then 
um, some of my friends are going to do some harmonies too. But it, I'm going to be the only person like playing, I guess, just because I'm about to be touring solo for such a long time. I don't want to like become like dependent on a band, though I have absolute dreams and fantasies of putting together a band that I could tour with because I think that'd be amazing. Do you find that touring helps you focus your work? Yeah, I think touring's like kind of oh, it can kind of go either way. Like it can be like a really confronting thing that like makes you just like feel like, "Oh my god, I don't understand the world." Or it can be this like really incredible affirming thing where you're like, "Oh my god, I feel so connected to the world." Um so I don't know. I found that it's like like anything, it can kind of yeah, it can it can it can have an, a, a number of effects on me. But I I do really like touring and I do like feel like it's a comfort zone for me in a weird way. Like I feel strange and jumpy when I'm in a city for too long. Farndon of Rude Media for making this interview possible. For more information on Oscar Keysong, please visit the links in the description of this episode. Record Room is produced and hosted by me, Will Felker. We're mixed and mastered by Federico Foglia, whose birthday was yesterday. Happy birthday, Fede. I'd be lost in the sauce without you. Our theme music is by Dawood Anthony, and our artwork is by Tom McQuaid, whose birthday is tomorrow. And keep your friends close and your Gemini's closer, I guess. Seriously, though, happy birthday, Tom. Sometimes your art is the only thing I enjoy about this show. Thanks for listening, and please continue to spread the word. As a new show, every listen, review, recommendation counts a lot. We won't forget you when we find a real podcast daddy that makes it possible for us all to quit our day jobs. <laughs>